With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. the underdog podcast from SB nation and underdog dynasty. Welcome back to the underdog podcast on underdogdynasty.com, SB nation's home for G five football. Uh, the NFL draft has come and gone, obviously a little bit different than in years past due to kind of the virtual nature of it. Uh, but glad we got one just the same with uh, the complete lack of live sports. We're still dealing with Joe Lonergan, Eric Henry and Joe Serpico coming to you uh, live from our respective houses uh, after the fact. So it's not live. Um, but you know what I'm trying to say, uh, boys, we got a lot to talk about with, um, the, just the, it seems like a fair number of G five and FCS guys went off the board. Uh, not everybody went exactly where we thought, but excited to dive into this once again. So yeah, I'll kick it off with the, uh, I guess a little bit of the recap of the American. So 17 guys total got drafted uh, the second most the conferences had, I believe it was in 2018 was, uh, when they had 18 that year. So, you know, just short of that. But um, I guess kind of what we talked about in the last episode, nobody got drafted that high. It was nobody in the first two rounds. It wasn't until round three that we had the Americans start getting some names called. And the first one being Antonio Gibson, who I did bring up in the last episode as somebody I really like. What I don't like about that is he's going to the Washington Redskins, but that's because I'm an Eagles fan. That's a different story. Um, a couple other in picks in that round that I did, like Josh Jones going to the Arizona Cardinals, uh, somebody to protect Kyler Murray who was sacked the most last year. I think it's a logical pick. A lot of people had him in the later of the first round too. So to get him in the third round, I think that's kind of a steal for uh, the Cardinals there. Um, some other picks that are notable here. Uh, Gabriel Davis going to the Bills in the fourth round. Um, the Bills, I don't think it's really any secret. They're always in the market for receivers and things like it. It never seems like they could find out that one guy. So, that's a good landing place for him. Uh, my favorite pick of this would be Sean Bradley of Temple. Staying home in Philadelphia, that going in the sixth round. Uh, I, was, uh, I was super, super excited about that, as you guys can imagine. I mean, think about this. This kid's going to get to play his college ball at Lincoln Financial Field and now his NFL ball in Lincoln Financial Field as well. So that's that's pretty awesome, I think. And then – so that I'll just go through everyone. I think uh, to wrap it up, and it was the last pick for the uh, the American, but one of the more notable picks of the entire draft being Malcolm Perry going to the Miami Dolphins in the seventh round. Um, I mean, we talked about it on the last episode. It'll be interesting to see uh, how that plays out. I, I think we all had a, a general feeling that he was probably going to get drafted just because of – I mean, let's face it, a lot of these NFL teams, they value guys who have had that military experience. So they give them a shot like that. So it was pretty cool to see uh, him get a shot. Now, I guess, actually, I'll let you guys go before I dive into uh, 
what players didn't get drafted that I wasn't too crazy about. Joe, I just have one quick question for you, and that's Gabriel Davis. I know we talked about him on the previous podcast. I saw, and, you know, to be honest, I think the majority of what I saw on Twitter was the very strongly opinionated UCF Twitter mafia who were surprised that Gabe Davis went in round four. But uh, I think all things considered, I know you and I on the last podcast, we'd kind of speculated as to, hey, did he leave early or, you know, was this uh, the highest that he may have gotten? All things considered, I think this actually could he have maybe advanced have been a second or third round pick if he comes back? Maybe. But all things considered, I think round four, given our, for lack of a better phrase, um, reservations about him coming out, all things considered, I, I think it turned out well for him. I was curious what your, uh, what your thoughts were on that pick. No, I have to agree totally just because, I mean, if you look at, we talked about it a little bit too in the last episode of the fact there was so many receivers drafted. Uh, I forget what the exact number was at the end of the day, but I'm pretty sure it broke a record just because of the absurd number of receivers that were taken in this draft. You think about it, he was taken in the fourth round. I mean, uh, let's see, I have the number here. Uh, 128. I mean, I, I we've seen so many players in the fourth, fifth round receivers that, that turn into game breakers. And who's to say that Gabriel Davis doesn't do it? I mean, he has his size. He has his speed. It's just I think the thing about him, and that's what we're going to figure out, is can he run routes? Because he was more of a deep ball threat as opposed to somebody that was sticking his foot in the ground most of the time, a lot. So we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, to be going in the fourth round, I think he should be feeling pretty good about his chances. Definitely make it the team. I mean, if you're in the later rounds, they say six or seven, you know, you're risky territory. But as a fourth rounder, you know you're going to be playing ball at least for a year or two. Definitely. As my cat's chiming in here, I don't know if the mic's picking that up, but uh, <laughs> it, it did. mine are right around here too. Fair enough. Uh, he's he's very opinionated when it comes to the American Conference. I apologize. Um, so let's let's jump into the Sun Belt then, uh, Eric. I know you did some pretty extensive research on our last episode of the show about some of the guys who may have uh, you know had the potential to go off the board, uh, particularly with Robert Hunt. We had pretty high expectations for where he was going to get selected, and of course he went in the second round to the Dolphins and try and uh, bolster Miami's offensive line. Uh, what did you think of that pick, and, and what did you think of how the Sun Belt uh, performed in this draft overall? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you kind of uh, hit the nail on the head right there as far as the guy I was going to talk about, and that's Robert Hunt. I thought that was a great pick. I mean, I, to be honest, I didn't expect that he would go in the second round. Uh, I, I'm not saying I thought it was high. I just thought that, you know, there, not to say there's a G5 bias. However, I do believe this. And, I mean, I, I was going to save this for later on the podcast, but I'll bounce this off you guys now. I think that for certain teams, and forgive me, I don't know off the top of my head whether or not Louisiana Lafayette had a pro day or not. But I do think the amount of G5 guys we know, let's say AAC, Sunbelt Conference uh, USA, that may have been potential draft picks or late-round draft picks or undrafted free agents, I think that number may have, you know, been a little bit shrunken or, or shrunk. Uh, Clear, I'm not an English major here. Um, but that number might have been reduced a little bit by the fact that there wasn't um, uh, formal pro days for a lot of the G5 teams. So I just kind of thought that maybe with that being the case, that Hunt might slide a little bit. But the fact that a team, you know, in this case the Dolphins, had enough intel on him to make the pick in the second round, I think that goes to show 
um, just how much he dominated that level of play. And if you've seen any of his, his film, I recommend for people who haven't seen him, just YouTube or, you know, whatever you have to do, get your eyes on, even if it's a quarter of a ULL game. He clearly looks like a man amongst boys at that level. The other two guys who I really, you know, thought are going to be good picks, I thought went at the right spot, were uh, two Appalachian State guys. Darrington Evans, the running back, I thought he, you know, showed enough of his skill and had a good enough showing at the combine that, uh, that, um, he was picked at the right side. I believe it was a fourth round pick, uh, third round, excuse me, so third round, 93rd overall. And then uh, the other player, Akeem Davis Gaither from Appalachian State as well. You know, the fact that he went off the board, really talented linebacker. So I thought for the Sun Belt, they, have a, they had a really good showing. And especially, uh, you know, given the fact that the, the Sun Belt, uh, you know, not to cast any aspersions on the conference, but I think all things considered, it's kind of widely um widely thought of that they're the lesser of the of the g5 conferences they had a lot of players go early on in, in the in the draft in relation to the ac and conference usa so all in all good showing for them yeah i was definitely pleasantly surprised by the Sun Belt's performance um and in particular um i know that ull had another uh offensive lineman go off the board late in the game and i I'm blanking on who that was now, but it was their guard. Um, do you know who I'm talking about, Eric? Uh, I know you're talking about too, and now I'm blanking on his name as well. Uh, it'll come to us in the midst of this conversation. Fair enough. But, uh, yeah, I think that just kind of speaks to, like, the quality that, uh, you know, quality of that offensive line unit that they're building down there with the Raging Cajuns. So we'll, as we remember who we're talking about here, we'll circle back to that. But um, I do want to dive into Kevin, CUSA. Kevin Dotson. Kevin Dotson. Kevin Dotson. came back to me. There we yeah, go. There we go. Yeah. Fourth round, fourth round to Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah. Clearly, um, Billy Napier is doing some really good stuff with with that unit as well as his offensive line coach. So excited to see how they continue to build off that, and hopefully they, this you know helps them build some steam uh, going into the next season with uh, you know the positive reinforcement this draft provided them. Um, so let's dive into CUSA on that note. Um, first player off the board for that conference, Harrison Bryant. We kind of figured he would be the first one. Um, thought it might have been a little earlier, but uh, that's the way the cookie holds, I guess. Uh, he goes to the Cleveland Browns in the fourth round. I think that's kind of interesting. Um, obviously, the Browns have kind of cycled through a lot of different offensive players in the last two decades or so. So I'm interested to see how this pans out. Um, I definitely think there's potential for him to kind of rise to, you know, starting caliber uh, based on what we've seen out of that position in the past. Uh, definitely expected more out of David Nyoku out of Miami there. So hopefully there's room for him to grow. And then uh, James Morgan. Uh, I know, Eric, you just got done talking, but interested to see uh, what you think of him going to the Jets in the fourth round there. Obviously, the Jets kind of have their starting QB figured out with Sam Darnold. But, um, you know, if he gets the whatever he had mono again, <laughs> there could be some interesting, <laughs> uh, interesting opportunities for Morgan to get some playtime there. Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, I actually just got off the phone with James about a couple hours ago. I had a chance to talk with him at 2.30 Eastern time. And uh, James is really excited. You know, I, I, covering FIU, I've had a chance to get to know him pretty well in, in, in addition to his parents. So uh, when he got drafted, you know, I texted his mom and him congrats. And his mom sent me the video of the uh, the moment that he got drafted. Some kind of a special moment there for uh, Morgans and their entire family. But yeah, James, he's really excited. I know one of the things that he really liked is that with Adam Gase, you know, having a reputation as someone who can work with quarterbacks really well. And he also felt that there was a, a lot of translation from the offense he ran at FIU with Rich Skrosky and what they're doing in, uh, with the Jets as far as Adam Gase as well. So yeah, he mentioned just the first priority for him was to get the playbook and get and hit the ground running. And so uh, he's pumped up and really excited. But I think overall, as far as prospects go, 
you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head, right? So Sam Darnold's a guy. You don't take someone that high in the draft and invest the, you know, the type of financial investment you've made in Sam Darnold, even though nowadays the, the rookie cap wage isn't as quite as high as it was before. You know, if this was 10 years ago, there's no way you take a quarterback in the fourth round expecting to compete with the, uh, you know, a top five pick. But all things considered, I think New York views him as a backup. And he, like I kind of said in the last podcast, James brings a lot of intangible, a lot of qualities that make him just a consummate professional in the quarterback room. He's someone who's going to be always be prepared. He, you know, will take those mental reps. And also, if you look at his history in college, you know, with bench at Bowling Green, he has to, you know, learn an entirely new system at FIU. So he has some a level of resolve around him. You know, Joe and Joe, he's not a guy who, for for example, not a Jake Fromm, someone who came in, started for three years, and has always been the guy, and now he's used to being a backup. He's someone who, you know, came in as a, as a four-star recruit at Bowling Green, lost his job, transferred to another school, and, you know, kind of earned his way back. So he has no issue, you know, being a backup. And anyone who knows James talks about just kind of his, his character, and, you know, we've had him on the show. So I don't think he'll have an issue being a backup. And quite frankly, I think it'd be a good opportunity for him to kind of sit behind a younger player, learn. And then, you know, if he can kind of show out in the preseason or maybe take advantage of any opportunities that come up, then maybe there's a future for him as a starter down the road. But all things considered, I think it's a good landing place for him. Yeah, and he'll have the uh, benefit of playing alongside a fellow CUSA draftee and Cameron Clark at the Jets, uh, the former offensive tackle for Charlotte. Um, over the course of the last couple of years or so, we've talked a lot about uh, Charlotte's offense in a positive manner, uh, of course, referring to like Chris Reynolds and Ben LeMay and um, – uh, you know, all the skill position guys that they had. But I feel like we left out the fact that um, Cameron Clark really helped pave the way for a lot of that attack. And hopefully he gets his chance to uh, show what he can do with the Jets there. And, you know, Lord knows both New York teams have had significant issues with their offensive lines in the last couple of years. So it, the opportunity should be there for him. Um, and then also in the fourth round, uh, had back-to-back Louisiana Tech picks. I wonder uh, when the last time that happened was. But uh, Legereus Sneed, the safety for the Texters, goes to the Chiefs, followed by Amik Robertson to the Raiders. Um, interesting that they're both going to uh, AFC West teams and rivals, in fact. So that'll be interesting if they ever get the chance to meet up on the field. Um, but with Robertson in particular, I know we we all had really high expectations for him um, as far as his NFL draft prospects. So um, hopefully he can kind of get the chance to show what he can do. And, you know, going up against a lot of the, the pass-heavy offenses that he's going to see in the AFC West with, you know, of course, Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs and then probably Justin Herbert and the Chargers as well. He, he should have plenty of opportunities um, to, you know, do what he did at Louisiana Tech and really cause some problems for opposing quarterbacks. And then in Philly, uh, Serpico, you're going to get to know the name Kez Watkins, I feel like. He's a six-round pick. And um, while well, he had some injuries about that pick. Yeah, exactly. And while he, yes, yes, he, he had some inconsistency issues at the college level um, for a variety of reasons, uh, but um, not just, you know, not always having to do with his, his on-field performance. Uh, but now that he's in the pros, I think people are gonna, really going to see just what a crazy athlete he is. And, you know, anytime Southern Miss had any kind of success in the last couple of years, it was usually due to Kez Watkins having a big day on the field. So, yeah, Serpico, as an Eagles fan, um, I don't know if you've had too much of a chance to watch, you know, Kez Watkins in college, but what do you think about what he could potentially add to Philly's offense? Well, I think 
one, it's no secret that uh, if you have watched the Eagles or even if you know anything about the NFL in general, they have some serious inefficiencies at the wide receiver position. So he's going to a spot where he certainly has a chance to make an impact. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest, it's not like I'm watching a ton of, uh, of Southern Miss games, but when you know the name, you hear the name plenty of times, you know you've got yourself a good player. Uh, you know, I'm not saying you know, it's hard because I'm here doing the American, but I try to do as much of uh, the college football landscape in general. So I, I've heard this name a lot. So you know, it was a name that I was excited to see come up on that board that day. And again, he's got a chance just because it is a very thin uh, Eagles wide receiving core that Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts which I think is a talk for another podcast, but interesting uh, addition to that team. For sure. And uh, just to wrap up COSA, the last pick from that conference off the board in the seventh round, uh, Stanley Thomas Oliver out of FIU for the Panthers. Uh, Eric, we talked a lot about what he could potentially do and uh, you know, what he kind of brought to FIU's defense in the midst of kind of a disappointing year last year for them. But what do you think about his prospects to make the team coming up here? Oh, I mean, I think Stan has a great shot. You know, we kind of talked about in the last podcast that he is a, I don't want to say a developmental guy, because that I feel like that has a negative connotation, but he's someone who has only played two years of defensive back. And when you look at what he's been able to do and how well he's acclimated to the position, given the fact that, I mean, you know, I'll make the story quick. I don't know if I'm pulling the podcast. How he ended up being a cornerback was at the 2017 Gasparilla Bowl, he was just screwing around after practice. And one of the receivers said, Hey, you know, I need an extra DB to line up and run routes against after practice. And Stan wasn't playing because Butch Davis didn't see him as a receiver and he hadn't played all year. And Stan was just like, all right, I'll jump in. And the coaches were like, Whoa, you know, this guy's got a little bit of potential as a cornerback. Just that little bit of happenstance takes him from, uh, you know, a pedestrian receiver, not someone with, you know, game breaking Quez Watkins like speed, but a solid receiver to, you know, you translate those skills to a cornerback and all of a sudden you've got a 6-2 long cornerback with solid speed and that's someone who is more attractive as maybe a defensive back than as a receiver. So I think he's, you know, a great pick. I think he has a great chance to make the team, uh, contribute on special teams. And then I think given his size and his athleticism, he really can be a guy, you know, not necessarily someone who's going to be just stuck in the in the nickel or dime, but he's someone who can play on the outside. I mean, he, he spent his entire career at FIU being the number one cornerback. So he played against the, you know, the top receivers in CUSA on the outside, you know, played a guy from the Sundown, Omar Bayless, pretty well, all things considered. So I think Stan has a great chance to, uh, to make the team and really contribute. Before you transition away from CUSA, Joe, I want to ask you one question really quick, because I, I know I was surprised by this, Joe Lonergan. Did it surprise you that El Jarius need, granted, it was only one pick, but was taken ahead of Amik Robertson? I, I know both of us are incredibly high on Amik. And, you know, I don't know if you were surprised that he lasted to the fourth round. I was. I, I thought that, uh, you know, had potential to be a second or third round pick. So I guess it's a two-part question. One, were you surprised he lasted that long? And two, you know, surprised that Algerius need went ahead of him. You know, I mean, I know we had Corey Diaz on the podcast, and maybe that's a short thought on our part, not asking about Algerius need, but uh, that one caught me uh, by surprise. It definitely caught me by surprise, too. Um, I definitely expected Amik Robertson to go first. I mean, all we talked about all year was, you know, him being the defensive MVP of Louisiana Tech and, and being close to the top as, as far as 
defensive CUSA prospects go. So I was very intrigued by the fact that he didn't go, uh, you know, first among defensive CUSA prospects. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, if you look at the safeties that Kansas City has had in the past, they definitely know what they're doing when it comes to recruiting talent for that position. So obviously there's something there that we missed. But, yeah, I was definitely extremely interested. Did I did I answer both parts of the questions there? You did. You did. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, before we move on to the the next part of the show, which was going to be uh, players we were surprised didn't get drafted, I wanted to pose this question to um, both of you. Um, of course, the first G5 player off the board was Jordan Love to the Packers in the first round, which should be interesting. Uh, but in the second round, we had a safety come off the board by the name of Kyle Duggar from a school named uh, Lenore Ryan. And I'm not even positive I'm pronouncing that correctly. My question being, A, of course Bill Belichick got a defensive back from a tiny school no one's heard of, and B, can either of you tell me anything about this kid? I mean, I knew by looking at some of the the mock drafts that were going around, things of that nature, that there were a lot of high hopes for for this young kid, or young man, I should say, but at the same time, I mean, this is a kid that's definitely under my radar. I, I even like, let's put it this way. You know, I might know a little, little bit about say most of the G5, a little bit about the FCS, but when we're going under that, forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> Joe uh, Londrigan, I'll jump in here. Uh, I don't know much more than Serpico. I heard the name Kyle Duggar. I was at um, East West Shrine game and practice only because it's in my backyard in St. Pete at the Tropic at Tropicana Fields, And I'd heard the name Kyle Duggar from, uh, I believe was a scout with the Oakland Raiders because um, he was there the day that John Gruden and, and um, uh, GM's escaping me. Mike Mayock was there. And I just in passing, I would literally was trying to, you know, get a, a spot so I could take a couple pictures of Benny LeMay. And I heard the name Kyle Duggar. And I remember it specifically because <laughs> shit, you should edit this out. <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't just report things off the fly. Let me try it again, Joe. Cause I, I remember John Gruden <laughs> okay. said, said who? And I, I, I probably shouldn't uh, shouldn't say that. Uh, all right, let me do this again. Yeah, Joe. So I, I heard the name uh, uh, Kyle Duggar because I was at the East West Shrine game, and a scout for a team had mentioned it. And I, I remember one of the uh, one of the coaches with that team was like, "Who?" So I think that you know that kind of lets me and Serpico off the hook that we had never heard the name Kyle Duggar before the NFL draft. So uh, yeah, that's about it, I guess. He, he had uh, had an invitation to go to the East West Shrine game and, and uh, got an invitation to go to the Senior Bowl instead. So that obviously worked out for him being a second-round pick. And no shock that Bill Belichick, you know, digs deep into the uh, into the annals of, uh, of Division II football to find a safe from Lynn or Ryan. But, you know, who knows? Was that Belichick or maybe his dog made the pick? You know, who, who knows? Since the, his dog got a little spotlight there and the, uh, and the chair comes drafted. But, no, I mean, he, nothing, you'd expect nothing less from the Patriots, right, to be able to find someone from that deep in uh, college football. All right, well, let's dive into the players that we were surprised didn't get uh, selected this time then. Uh, let's start with the American. And, and Serpico, who were you surprised uh, didn't immediately find a home in the NFL here? So number one on my list was uh, Memphis defensive end Bryce Huff. I, I thought he was in somebody – I wasn't expecting him to go high, obviously, but figured he would fall somewhere in the fifth, sixth, maybe even seventh round. But he is one of those guys now who will be undrafted. Um, another name that I was actually really surprised to not see, and I believe I talked about him in the last, yes, I did talk about him in the last episode, 
that being Adrian Killen. Um, you know, like I said in the last episode, if I remember correctly, well, maybe it was two episodes ago. I can't remember what it was. But I, I talked about, I mean, fastest man in college football. He did sign an undrafted uh, deal with the Eagles, which I was actually super excited to see. Mm-hmm because they're in dire, dire need of a kick returner. So I actually think that he has a legit shot to actually stick around there. Um, and one more that I was a little bit su- surprised about was Neville Clark, the cornerback from UC Dave, or excuse me, UCF. Um, ended up with the Vikings as a undrafted free agent, what I, which I think, again, is a really good fit in the sense because the Vikings are in dire need of cornerback help. And while they did address it a little bit uh, with a pick earlier in the draft, I, I think they could – actually, with a pick earlier in the draft, it was uh, Temple's uh, Harrison Hand. But, uh, you know, they they need more players at that, at that spot. So I think adding him is a solid pick as well. And one more, I guess, little uh, like a coming home kind of thing again would be uh, Sam Franklin, the Temple linebacker, is going to play with the Panthers – as an undrafted free agent. And what makes that notable is uh, Matt Rule, which we all know is now the coach at the Carolina Panthers, was at Temple not that long ago. And he was he recruited Sam Franklin, so they're going to reunite down there. And uh, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head now, but there's quite a few Temple guys uh, down there with Rule. And the Panthers will actually be uh, – a team that I'll be watching quite a bit this year because of that. I'm excited to see what he does as well. Uh, Eric, what do you think about the Sunbelt guys who didn't come off the board? If there was any, uh, any folks you were surprised didn't immediately find homes. There actually weren't any Sunbelt guys, but I, I will go into uh, conference USA and one guy who I, I was mm-hmm. well, actually, you know what? I'm, let me take that back. I'm sorry. Omar Bayless, I, it just popped in my head that Omar Bayless, you know, I, I should remember that because I covered the Camellia Bowl, was definitely surprised, but at the same point in time, this draft was widely considered one of the strongest receiver drafts in, in history. And I mean, I know a guy from the American who I was surprised, uh, you know, uh, Joe Sipico, remind me if uh, Joe, um, James Prose, did he get drafted or was he UDFA? He got drafted in the sixth round to the Ravens, but I know that because I'm in Baltimore and they were actually kind of excited. He could go a little further, right, so I guess. I, they, they're excited about that, and I, I am too, because I think he actually has a legit shot to be a slot receiver for them right away. Exactly, right? So, you know, there were just to, to further that point about how deep a receiver draft this was, I mean, James Crochet was one of the top receivers in football last year, and Omar Bayless, um, I believe, was third-team All-American. So that would be the guy for the Sun Belt. So I, I'll leave that as my uh, Sun Belt choice, who uh, surprised me that didn't go off the board. Fair enough. Um, for CUSA, I mean, you and I can kind of tag team this section, but I know we talked a lot about Ben LeMay and his potential to get selected. He obviously didn't, uh, but he did sign a UDFA deal with the Cleveland Browns, so he'll join fellow uh, former CUSA guy Harrison Bryant up there. Uh, that could be interesting. I know Cleveland's relatively and surprisingly deep at running back, so we'll see if he he gets a shot. But um, I definitely think he he's got the kind of build that could you know prove helpful playing in in the AFC North and some of the uh, hard-hitting defenses that are in that division. Um, The other one that um, I'm a little bit surprised 
that uh, didn't find a home immediately, Jamar Smith. But of course, he's now with uh, the New England Patriots, and he'll uh, play back up to uh, you know whoever immediately wins the uh, wins the job up in uh, up in Foxborough. There, um, also no uh, no Western Kentucky guys. I, I think the only guy I would say I was kind of thinking would find somewhere to go, whether it be as a draft pick or as an undrafted free agent. But to date. Not the case. Uh, Lucky Jackson, like I mentioned, uh, really strong skill set for him in terms of what you want and like a good slot receiver. But, um, you know, we'll see if anything works out for him. But, um, yeah, Eric, as someone who obviously also <laughs> watches a lot of CUSA football, uh, anybody else that I missed that you are surprised didn't, didn't go anywhere? Yeah, I'm going to be a little bit of a homer here and say Stage Lewis, only because, not that I expect the stage to get drafted, but the fact that he didn't find a home as a UDFA, that surprised me, because I thought an FIU was a team who didn't have a pro day, so that probably affected things a little bit, but his virtual pro day, which actually took place about 15 minutes from my house, so I had a chance to check out some of it, he ran a legit 4.61, and for someone who is his size, that kind of surprised me. I didn't think, honestly, he was that fast. So I thought he did enough to at least warrant, you know, hey, come into camp and let's take a look. But once again, with the coronavirus situation, I think that definitely hurt him as well. You talk about Benny LeMay, and I, I wasn't surprised that Benny went as a UDFA because I talked about that uh, 40 time he had, which was, I believe, 477 or 479, something like that. But Benny LeMay will be an NFL running back. I mean, you and I have watched a ton of Conference USA football. He just, he's a running back. He knows how to, you know, he, he's a professional running back. No one's going to convince me otherwise of that, you know. So I don't think that 40 time will be a factor. He's someone who never looks slow on the field. But, yeah, I mean, I think Stage not getting a shot, that one kind of surprised me. Lucky Jackson to an extent. I, I will piggyback off that one just because he seems like the prototypical slot receiver. Um, outside of that, I guess the only other guy who I thought was the least, you know, Gotten a look as a UDFA with Mason Fine. Definitely didn't expect him to get drafted. But mm -hmm. I thought, you know, and he, yes, nope. he's 5'10". Yes, he's, you know, 205 pounds, whatever. But I at least thought he did enough to where there were, let's just, you know, be honest. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, say any names and, and kind of slight anybody. But there mm -hmm. were some bigger quarterbacks. And when I mean bigger, I mean just bigger in size who didn't have nearly the passing um, resume that Mason Fine had. And, and are in camp now. So I at least thought he would get a shot, you know, in some form or fashion. But unfortunately, you know, it's a size game. So I guess that uh, that hurt him there as far as that position. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, overall, I think CUSA had a, a fairly decent draft. Um, like you mentioned, Mason Fine, I think I think someone will end up finding uh, finding a spot for him to at least give him a shot. We've talked about, you know, his potential endlessly over the last uh, couple of seasons, but ultimately I think his size is, is really going to hurt him. And the fact that his system at North Texas, while it was, you know, successful for the most part, it's so highly specific and so drastically different from anything we see in the NFL. Um, it, it's tough to really have a ton of faith that it's, it's going to end up working out for him at the professional level, but never say never. Um, as kind of a, wild card here i want to throw this at you serpico um for all the football fans who are particularly star for live sports there is a definite shot we see the canadian football league start on time and uh they of course had their drafts just a couple of days ago as well and number one overall draft pick in that league 
uh, Mr. Jordan Williams out of East Carolina. He goes to the British Columbia Lions. Uh, Serpico, what can you tell us about him? If you know anything about me from listening to our podcast, me and Joe, the past couple of years, Joe, Broback, that being, um, the one team that I really am bashing a lot is ECU. So, no, I don't have a whole lot to say about that. <laughs> Fair enough. Absolutely. We'll uh, just just be just being. I mean, you really got you caught me on that one. I was not ready for that. Let's just put it that way. But an ECU <laughs> player, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna know a whole lot about. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I'm interested to see what uh, what he can do um, in that league, particularly with like obviously there's a difference, but it seems like obviously plenty of guys from American programs end up finding their way within that league. Um, so that'll be fun. And oh, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. That and like I mentioned. True. Yeah, yeah. There's just such a such a hole for live sports now. I feel like the Canadian Football League is going to see um, increased ratings from the American side of things if they are able to start on time. And from talking to friends on the northern side of the border, it seems like Canada has a pretty good handle on this kind of situation. And while they're overly cautious by nature, I think they really do have a, a strong chance of, of getting their sports operations back on the ground. You know, prior to us and and getting you know, the CFL to start on time. And, you know, that'll be something cool to watch. Yeah, I, I, mean, I agree. Be... <laughs> I think I'm getting ready to be a uh, NASCAR fan, I think, just because it's about to be on TV. I don't know what else to watch sports these days. So uh, I'm literally going to be NASCAR and horse racing. It sounds like those two are getting ready to get to go. And so anything that's live, I'm in for right now. <laughs> Serpico, are are you like? Uh, I hope I'm not throwing you under the bus, but uh, are are you like our uh, degenerate gambler friends who like just need something to you know put five bucks down on, or are you just you know dying for some type of sports action? Well, I do write the uh, underdog <laughs> against the spread piece for Underdog Dynasty, but yes, the answer to that is yes. <laughs> Joe, take over for I, for I, uh, I somehow you know inadvertently uh, uh, implicate Joe on some type of scheme that uh, could get him in trouble. <laughs> hey, it's legal in the United States now. We're all right, guys. We're all right. That it is. Okay. I mean, once once we do get sports back, I feel like I'm going to quickly devolve in, into a degenerate myself, just because I'll I'll you know I'll be like. I'll be like that kid who loses a bunch of weight. And then once he goes off the diet, immediately gains it all back from just being able to like, it's like, I deserve this. You know what I mean? I'm going to be the exact same way with my sports consumption. When it finally gets back, I'm just going to go too hard too quickly and uh, blow all my wedding fund <laughs> on betting on sports. I feel like, I mean, not just to go too far down a rabbit hole. Like, I mean, that's a whole industry that a lot of people probably don't think about that has taken a huge nosedive. Oh, for sure. Not just, you know what I mean? It's, I mean, that is, they reach across not just sports. I mean, they, I mean, you think about those things, they go into all kinds of crazy stuff that's happening all around the world, let's be honest. So, um, you know, the, the whole betting world is taking a huge bang right now. So, Vegas is definitely, uh, I don't think you hear a lot about that in the news, but Vegas is definitely uh, struggling right now. 
Yeah. And I mean, hopefully we'll, we'll be out of this sooner rather than later. I feel like we're getting close to being on the back half of this, just from the fact that States are reopening and hopefully that decision doesn't backfire on us, which the possibility is definitely there. Um, so that seems like a good place to, to start wrapping up and we'll say this, um, to anybody that's listening, A, thank you so much for, for giving us your time. And B, continue to stay safe, wash your hands, uh, practice social distancing if you can, and hopefully we'll get out of this thing sooner rather than later so that we can all be degenerates and bet on the CFL together uh, in about a month's time. Um, so if you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, Serpico is at Joe Serp. I am at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. And, of course, check out at Underdog Dynasty as well and Underdog Dynasty dot com every single day for more g5 football content uh hopefully we'll start ramping up more once uh you know workouts start coming and we get closer to football and once this whole mess is over i know we're gonna have a lot more great content for you guys um so thank you all so much have a great rest of your day happy football watching everybody talk to you soon